right. Do you want me to repreface the question for the yeah, video? Yeah, go ahead. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I just asked Amarado about um, a certain description of jhana I heard that uses the concept of animita. And uh, the idea is that to enter jhana, there's an unbroken continuous awareness of animita where you don't get distracted from the nimitta. And the way that they describe nimitta is just essentially your object of concentration. So it could be like a visual image, or it could be uh, Brahma Vihara, or it could be um, any object of concentration that's uh, continuous object of concentration. So I was wondering what you thought about that. Okay. So we've got two issues now, and that is object of concentration, which we can dig into. But we've also got this word nimitta. What what did they give as a definition for the word nimitta? Or did they just use it without defining it? Yeah, uh, they used nimitta um, synonymously with an object of concentration. So like uh, an object of concentration could be um like a good it feeling could be your breath right yeah. it could be your breath it could be uh pretty much anything it could be wholesome thoughts i guess meta loving kindness just that's the way they describe nimitta like i don't i don't know if i'm just not doing it justice and not remembering all of what they said but um essentially they said it was the object of concentration so that could be okay. a multiple things i guess all right. Did they use something like a counterpart sign? Did they use a word counterpart sign? I didn't hear that. Okay. All right. So let's go back to the history of where the Nimitta comes from, because it comes from the time before the Buddha. Okay. Okay. Now, we know about the Satipatthana in the sense of the four foundations of mindfulness that is the guy, the person. All right, the body, the feeling, the mind, and the mind's object. But this was something that the Buddha came up with. Before that, they used other kind of objects of meditation, like outside objects, physical forms, liquids, fire. In fact, you've heard about the fire casino. Okay, so you see, these are the casino meditations. And that um, let's give an example of the mud pie, which is the, the body, okay? And there's two different, there's actually several, but the one that's the most common is either um, about a foot across leaves that are stitched together. They start green, they turn yellow, and eventually turn brown. Or it can be a mud pie that they start off with dried mud pie. Now, what are we going to do with this uh, stitched leaf or this uh, a mud pie is that we're going to look at it. And then we're going to close the eyes and remember it. And then open our eyes again and study it again and then close our eyes and remember it. The remembrance is the nimitta. In other words, we're actually going to be creating an image in the mind of that mud pie with as much detail, the grains of sand, the leaves or whatever that's in that mud pie, that it's not smooth, it's not like a white wall. And even white walls have, um, let us say, 
um, a lot of possible irregularities or whatnot to them. So the nemata then is the counterpart sign. It's almost like an avatar or an, an emoji or an icon to represent something. So the internal representation of that mud pie is not the same as the actual physical mud pie. Just like the avatar of the sock puppet is not the guy who's writing on Reddit. He's got an identity, but what he presents himself to be is a nemata or a counterpart sign or a sign of something, um, an icon. So that's what the, um, the nemata actually is. Now, in the sense of the breathing meditation, one of the ways that that can be done is, is that on the out-breath, you're very fully aware of the touch of the breath around the nostrils that you can, when you breathe out, both of you can do this. In fact, mustaches help. So as you're breathing out, you actually create a sensation around the face with that air. Now, when you stop breathing out and are holding your breath, can you maintain that sensation of the touch of the breath after the breath is stopped? Okay, so that's the counterpart sign, and that's something that can be done as a meditation practice. Now, here's the thing. Is, is that with Anapanasati, we're not working with nematas, we're working with reality. Uh, we're not interested in counterpart signs. And so uh, there is a way that you could say that um, metta would could be and uh, is often a wholesome thought. Yeah. Or it can be a concept. And when metta is a concept, then it's a nemata. It's the substitution, it's the concept for something that's real. Ah. Okay, and often our meta is something that we've invented in the mind. It's a concept. So and that too then would be an emeta. It's something that's not real, it's something that we're uh, creating. Right, so essentially nimitta jhana is not, uh, is not, it's kind of like a mind trip like I guess like I can do I can do that meditatively like I can imagine something uh with my awareness and I can like maintain that image like continuously which it is I guess that's um if you're using that much mental um capacity to do that then you're not thinking any unwholesome thoughts so I guess like you can get into a state where there are no hindrances but it is kind of like a trip that you're like tripping yourself out out doing. So it's All not right. like grounded in reality, I guess. Okay, so now let's go back to the original point of the teaching of the Buddha. The Buddha said, both formally and now, I teach only one thing, Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. That's what the Buddha teaches. Jhana, he never said that he teaches jhana. Okay, and yet many of the Westerners, they think that jhana is what we're doing here. And the reality is, is that no, we're here for the elimination of dukkha. Well, 
the idea well i i think the idea still with that type of meditation is they're doing it to um to have experience nibbana or like the quenching of dukkha like they're trying to use that as like a vehicle to 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 quench dukkha um and i've never done it that way so i can't like report for it but perhaps okay they've experienced yeah. it that way in a way, then, we're talking about it in that regard is samatha without vipassana. Hmm. Okay. And that that's what the jhanas are, is, is all samatha. Now, the important point that we have to recognize is, is that you have to have some uh, vipassana or some insight in order to practice samatha. It's just that, like, the Mahasi... That crowd goes overboard with the vipassana and these and some people go overboard with the jhana so like mm -hmm. i guess you got you know there's always the middle way um right it always has to do with the middle way and in this case both vipassana and samatha but the important point is to remember that here is dukkha dukkha naroda is the entire practice that in fact jhanas could be optional completely now there's also the sutta where the buddha says is that it's the first jhana that's the path to enlightenment we don't need the other jhanas but what we do have to do is to get the mind into a wholesome state the buddha did say that yes it's in sutta number 36 in the majjhima nikaya it's in fact quite famous and it's and it's referred to as the rose apple tree while he was a young man sitting under the rose apple tree he uh, uh went into abided into the first jhana years later he crawled out of the creek almost dead from uh, starvation and he says i've gotten so weak doing this this surely is not the path to enlightenment and then he recollected oh okay it is in fact the first jhana that i that the buddha uh is actually referring to the fact that the higher jhanas is too much samatha and not enough vipassana okay okay unless you know what you're doing that in fact the whole point about the fourth jhana is to be able to see how the mind works at a very subtle level down at the level of perception this is why it's referred to as neither perception or non-perception uh and um, um uh, boundless consciousness etc like that is, is the relationship between taking data in through the senses including the mind or there are six senses that's perception and then what do we do with that is we tell ourselves a story so we take the reality the rupa and we tell a story about it the nama the nama rupa is a process and that we can uh un we can use the word understanding in other words you see something and you don't know what it is you don't understand it that may leave confusion because you can't process it because you don't have enough old data an example of that would be um way back when uh hunter gatherers were walking through the woods 
and there sitting under the tree is a boombox. How it got there, we're not interested. What's the point is, is that these guys don't know what to do with a boombox. This is a story, you know how old this story is because we're using boomboxes. You guys may not even know what a boombox is. I know what a boombox is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You carry a boombox on, on your shoulder. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> yeah. Great big uh, uh, D cell batteries. Right. Okay. So that means then that if we find the boombox under the tree, but we don't know anything about boomboxes, anything at all. We have no concept of batteries or tape or anything like that. Then uh, when they see it, they're just going to be confused. They don't know what to make of it because they don't have anything to judge it with. So if we think about that story about the boombox, we can recognize that almost everything that we see, we see it again. We recognize it. We recognize it. This recognition process then is the perception, and we can see how that operates. And in a reality, we, there's no nemata for perception that's going to be nearly as valuable as perception itself, the actual process of figuring out something. All right. I have a question. So, can I? Go, go, go ahead. Real, yeah, so you were talking about how the Buddhists said that the higher jhanas make it more complicated to be able to see the mind at the very subtle level, right? Well, I wouldn't use the word complicated. I would use the word that when we get stable, all right? One of the reasons why uh, a photo is of no good is because it's blurry. It can be blurry because it's out of focus, or it can be blurry because the camera was moving. You've seen that happen many times. Uh, uh, the clear example is, is that somebody's standing there with their cell phone watching the twin towers fall down right in front of them. And then all of a sudden, when that dust cloud comes close, now the guy who is taking the, the movie forgets about his uh, camera altogether. And the camera just goes haywire. You can't tell what's going on. Okay, you can see this with avalanches. The guy is standing there with his camera watching that avalanche and taking a video of the avalanche and all of a sudden the avalanche gets really close. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so he starts to run, but now because he's running, his camera is no longer stable. And so we can't see what's going on. So the whole point about the mind is let's get the mind out of its shaking, getting it very, very stable so that we can see what's going on. Very much like a microscope. You know, when they do microscopic work, they have to, uh, to cut and pin down the thing that they're going to look at because if it's moving at all, they're not going to get a clear image of it. And the fourth jhana or the higher jhanas is what allows you to see this? Well, you're labeling something. Let's take the label off of it. Let's take the word jhana and the word fourth off of it for a moment and recognize that you can get your mind stable enough so that you can actually see the process. Now, here's a good example of that. Have you ever heard of the Rorschach test? Yeah. Okay. A Rorschach test, basically, it's also, they call it ink blot. 
And how they're made is, is that the, uh, the guys who's making it will take a piece of paper, fold it in half, and then he'll put a be, uh, some ink drops on one side of that page and then slap them together to cause that ink to spread around. The psychiatrists in the old days would use these Warshark tests and give to their clients and have the client look at this ink blot and try to make sense out of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, and quite often these ink blots wind up looking like vaginas. Yeah, it's like that's what's on your mind. Because that's what's on your mind, exactly. <laughs> All right. So here's the point, then, is, is that the, <laughs> the Rorschach test, if you actually have that, the it's perception that we create something to try to make sense out of that ink blot. The reality is, is that it's just an ink blot and it has no meaning. It's just random ink on a page. Mm-hmm. And so if you had a Buddha in there and you give him a Rorschach test and he says, well, what do you make out of this? I says, that's a nice piece of ink. That's a nice piece of paper because that's real. But if we interpret that ink blot into a vagina or into a boy on a bicycle or anything that we make out of it, that's because we perceived it based upon what we know before. Uh, someone who has never seen a vagina, I don't know who that would be, but you're certainly going to look at that ink block test and not come up with a vagina if you've never seen a vagina. That's why um, a good, a pretty common like um, a way to call perception is people say the lens, the lenses of perception, or I think that's the Aldous Huxley books. Right? Exactly. The, the lens, so like it's it's like a lens that things are filtered through, so it's kind of like um, a good way to put it, like a metaphor for it. But. Exactly, and those lenses are in glasses that are old. These are old glasses, right. and and what we're really learning to do with meditation is to take those silly glasses off and look directly. But in order to do so, you've got to be stable enough so that you can see what's really there rather than trying to make sense out of it. Hey, uh, Don Morado, earlier you said that you can't have sama- uh, Samatha without Vipassana. But isn't it the opposite true that you have to have like you have to clean the fog off the glasses and, and that's the Samatha and then you can see clearly so you can precisely if we're doing it right but here's the point if you've got this idea of a nimitta that's the constructed image and we're trying to get beyond constructing images to see what's real this is why the word nimitta never appears in any of the suttas that are associated with the buddha it always comes out of either hindu literature or out of uh, later Buddhist literature. Because the nimitta itself is not real. And we're learning to deal with reality. Here's, an, uh, here's another way of looking at it. And that is, is that um, if we see something and we see it directly and correctly, then there is no dukkha. But if we make a mistake in our understanding of what that was, we perceived it incorrectly, the more distant we are from um, the reality, 
the more likely there's going to be dukkha. And the closer we are to actual reality, the, mo the less likely there is going to be dukkha to it. And so going back to that point about um, the nimitta, uh, the fire meditation, the fire casino, staring at a fire, because that fire actually like a candle flame, you know what a candle flame is. When I do use the word candle flame, you can bring up a candle flame. Okay, the candle that is there, we didn't talk about, and there's a wide variety of candle flames or candles, but the candle flame has a particular shape to it, and we know what that fire looks like. Okay, so when I use the word candle flame, you already know it. You've already got an nimitta for that. But in order to refine that nimitta, you can take and look at a candle, perhaps in the dark, close your eyes, and then re-examine that nimitta, or, uh, and then open your eyes and see the real flame, close your eyes and look at the nimitta. Open your eyes and see the real flame, close your eyes and see the nimitta. Okay, so we could use that nimitta for all kinds of things, but again, it is a icon. It's a mental image. It's a construction. And that one of the ways is kind of interesting is to feel something. So here's something. Take your two index fingers, bring them together and touch them. And then separate them and continue to feel that touching. And then go back and do it again and feel the touch. And then separate them and experience that feeling continuing. That would be an emita. Touch them again. Feel what it is like to touch the fingers and then separate them again and remember what it felt like when they were touching. And then touch them again and get reality and then separate them and construct the nimitta. There's always a difference. There's always a difference until you get really good at it. Hmm. So you've never done this before. You say that you're different. Well, that's because you haven't done it 10,000 times yet. And that's and that's the way that we develop these nematodes is by doing reality and then stop the reality and reconstruct it. It can be a touch. Then, in fact, the touch is the most important one, but it can also be a visual image. Then, in fact, any songs that you've heard, if you sing that song, you're singing a nimitta. You're singing what you remember. You're not singing the song that you heard the Beatles play. You're creating your own version of it. That's the nimitta. So what it is that we're creating, that's an important point now, because if our nimittas, because we're not very skilled at it, our nimittas that we create, are not very close to reality. We just proved that. In fact, Alex, you just definitely proved that. They're not the same. The nimitta for the unskilled toucher is not the same as the original touch. And so the Buddha's, the method of the Buddha is to just get right to the real touch and stay right the to the touch. real and, and stay with the real touch that we don't have to create that mentally constructed image to it okay but doing this ex as an exercise 
including the one that I just gave you, having the two index fingers touch each other and then bringing it apart, doing that over and over again is actually a skill development tool. You can actually develop the skill of doing that. You can also develop it with Anapanasati by breathing out, being very, very closely associated with what does that breath feel like as it's going out. And then when you finish breathing out, reconstruct the feeling of the air going out around the around this area of the nose the nose in fact you, you can actually without air actually going out without any air exactly just like this is no touching and then this is touching so as you're breathing out the air itself is touching the nose tip the nostril area when you stop breathing no more touching but can you actually experience that nemata? Hmm. With the mud disc, you close your eyes and reconstruct that mud disc. Another one, you could stargaze. You could open your eyes, look at the sky at night, and then close your eyes and reconstruct it. And then open your eyes again. It seems kind of like a hypnosis, like doing that. Like it kind of like hypnotizing you. Like if I try to do that and I try to like experience the sensation after the sensation happens, like you can kind of get into like a perpetual like mind state of like trying to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's like kind of like you kind of like turn off your some parts of your mind. So I guess that can give you like insight into how the nature of the mind works uh, to some extent. But um, okay. Just so, like it's just yeah. All right. So we could actually use that kind of backwards, in the sense of anapanasati, that when we gladden the mind, we actually are creating now a nimitta that we're actually then going to re- make real. So if you tell yourself you feel safe, secure, comfortable, satisfied. And you tell yourself safe, secure, comfortable, and satisfied. Eventually, you're going to manifest that safe, secure, comfortable, and satisfied by feeling it. And so mm-hmm. we're taking a nimitta and creating a reality out of it. This is the first jhana. Okay. Once we get those feelings really manifested, now we don't have to talk to ourselves about it anymore. Now we're actually in the second jhana, going to stop talking and just feel good. Hmm. Just really, really feel good. So you're saying once we enter the first jhana, we're really actually in the second. Because once we've no, entered that, the first, but, man, but that's, that's the jhana that that's the jhana that's described in the Pali Canon. The jhana that it talks, it's very deliberate. Like it talks about. with the passing away of the unwholesome thoughts um, comes the um, attainment of first jhana that with the applied and sustained uh, or the thinking and examining thought and uh, the accompanying pt and sukha and then with the passing away of the thinking and examining thought uh, just the pt and the sukha is second jhana and then it does this for all the jhanas but um, mm-hmm. and nowhere does it say nimitta in there. Like it never says nimitta. So I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh. no, the nimitta comes from the later literature. Right. That yeah. It it comes out of the Vasudhimaga. 
and the whole idea, by the way, that I was talking about with the nose tip is also not there. That in the Anapanasati Sutta, it talks about experiencing the body while it's breathing, all of the body. This is no, uh, honing down to just the nose tip. That too is in the later literature. In the original literature, is experiencing the body, not experiencing and honing in on one particular point on the body. And then relaxing tensions in the body, right, is the next step. And then, and then relaxing those tensions. Anything that we find, relaxing them, as we're also relaxing. So Keyshawn is left. I want to talk to Keyshawn, but anyway, uh, I've been waiting for Keyshawn. So uh, he, and, he and I have some OCF business to do. OSF. Okay. Okay. Cool. Okay, so, on that note. so anyway, did that answer your question sufficiently enough about the Nimitta? It did. Yeah, it it answered it. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, we'll we'll see you later. Thank right, you, guys. Damarado. Good to see you, Alex. Okay, bye-bye. Bye, guys. Bye.